Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. The ACA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by ACA President, Dr. Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy, and politics of chiropractic, as well as reviewing the latest research and discussing how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. No doubt if you're an Australian chiropractor listening to this podcast, you'll be intimately aware of the Safer Care Rictoria review into spinal manipulation performed by chiropractors for children under 12 years of age. In fact, if you're an international chiropractor listening, you probably are aware of this review also. The review will consider both submissions from members of the public and stakeholder organisations, and also a Cochrane review of the evidence. Many people have contributed to the Australian Chiropractors Association submission, and I'm very pleased to be talking with one of those important contributors, Dr. Catherine Pullman, today. Now, Katie is one of the lead authors, along with Carol Parnell-Provost, of the 2019 Systematic Review into Manual Therapy for the Paediatric Population, an exceptionally important paper that could not have come at a better time for the chiropractic profession. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the ACA podcast. Hello, Dr. Coxon. It's so nice to be on. Uh, it's great. Look, we, we did catch up very, very briefly at the um, WFC in, in Berlin, and um, both Matthew, our CEO, and myself were very busily wanting to talk to all the experts in the field because of um, knowing that the upcoming uh, Safer Care Victoria review. I was so pleased to, to, to meet you and so, so happy that you've um, helped us out with the ACA submission. Of course, the Australian chiropractors, and you're, you're involved very much with the other uh, ACA. Um, but thank you for making time to um, do this podcast today. It's quite, it's quite my honor, to be honest. So let's um, start at the start, I, I guess, and just um, define a few things. Um, you've uh, been very involved in the systematic review, as I mentioned earlier. Can you explain to our listeners what actually is a systematic review? How does it all come together? And how does it rate in terms of levels of evidence? Yeah, thank you for this question. So a systematic review, I'm going to break the two words apart. The review part is, is pulling together all the literature so that you can review it all at once. And the systematic just means that it has some sort of systematic component to it that so that it's reproducible. Uh, so a systematic review has a lot of rigor uh, compared to some narrative literature reviews. Um, I believe that they all have purposes, but the systematic just makes sure that you're gathering all the information uh, possible that's available at that time. And it does rate systematic reviews, if you look at on the evidence uh, pyramid, it does rate toward the top. And the, it, right after our randomized controlled trials, the next level is systematic reviews. It's because systematic reviews are usually pulling together all the randomized controlled trials that are available. Now, the, the strongest systematic reviews have what they call a meta-analysis, and that's when they're pulling the data together. The systematic review that I did here was only what they call qualitative, so it could only describe the data because we did not gather the outcome, all the outcomes we gathered, there were no, um, I don't want to say no, but, but few similarities, so we couldn't pull the data. But a meta-analysis is really the strongest that you can get. Um, and again, like everything, a systematic review does depend on, on the quality of it. While it does set at the top, 
it can be flawed just like anything else. Um, I can, I'm going to give a little background about the systematic review. Uh, I, when I was, when I graduated it and, and went into my extra training in pediatrics, uh, after my chiropractic degree, I was really confused about the literature. You know, some people are saying this and some people are saying that. And I was like, just where is it? And and I just couldn't wrap my head around all the literature because that takes a lot of time. And so this systematic review was something I can say I wanted for myself when I graduated or when I um, started like really trying to, to synthesize all the material that I had. Um, so I, so it was like 10 years in the making of something that I visualized in my head of just where are we at in the literature, whether it's good, whether it's bad, somebody pull it all together and make it comprehensible. So that's actually how the, the, the review came together is I just wanted for myself a nice piece that answered all those questions. And I thought other clinicians might enjoy having it in one solid um, manuscript as well. Well, we certainly did have a, uh, enjoyed having as one manuscript. I'm assuming when you mentioned about the meta-analysis and pooling the data, one of the challenges may have been uh, that some of the techniques used with children uh, may have varied slightly. Some of the um, uh, professionals um, and, and that are actually applying the techniques are obviously different, osteopaths versus chiropractors, etc. Is that what some of the challenges were? That, that's exactly what some of the challenges were. My intent of going into it was never to do a meta-analysis. It was always to be qualitative. Meta-analysis, or if you were asking, when, when people have done specifically on one of these topics, then you can pull all of those together. I just really wanted a broad-based picture of where we were at in the state of the literature, but the heterogeneity between the techniques being used, between the populations being used, and between outcome measures in each study um, made, it, made it too complex. So your systematic review was published in BMC Complementary and Alternative Medicine. This is a, a quite a reputable and uh, open access journal. How important was that? And when chiropractors are looking at research, how important is consideration of the source journal? Yes, thank you for that. So number one is I do think I'm trying to keep clinicians in mind with with. I can't say all my research because sometimes your research is just to build the foundation for more research that can affect the clinicians. But for this particular case, I was really focused on the clinician and wanting to get this this into the hands of clinicians. Um, and, uh, and with that, I wanted to make sure that it, that it had open access. So a big limitation for clinicians is paying for journals, not being associated with some sort of uh, university that they can obtain uh, uh, manuscripts from journals. And so that was a, n a number one consideration for me. Another consideration is while I really wanted it for the chiropractic profession, I didn't want it to, I wanted it to be accessible by all healthcare professionals. And so I wanted a journal that was more um, diverse than just the chiropractic profession. So I wanted it open access. I wanted it to be accessible by all professions. And that leads into the reputation of a journal uh, and so making sure that they had the rigor and the peer review you can get published unfortunately anywhere you can get a paper published but to make sure that they it goes through peer review peer review is a fantastic process and you get really great feedback that way um, and I wanted to make sure that this had that type of rigor and BMC um, CAM is known for that. 
so before we get into the nitty-gritty of the study, um, overall, where would you say the evidence is at for sort of you know man- manual pediatric care? Um, and, and is there what, what was the formula that you used to, to classify um, the level of evidence for particular presentations to chiropractors or, or manual therapists? Yeah, so again, keeping what, what my, my broad picture was, was trying to, when somebody asked about a certain condition, where were we in the state of the literature, I, I modeled our, the summaries that I call them from other manuscripts that have been done. And so that was coming up with that you could have had high, moderate, or inconclusive, and within those favorable results, unfavorable results, and then unclear. And we set those guidelines up before we actually started summarizing the data. And I can, as we get into the nitty gritty of the paper, I will, uh, I will let you know some of the, has some of the retrospective or, or lookbacks at. Um, that, that, that may have caused, but setting things up by a priori also is, is best methodology and uh, and um, allows you not to change. But I think there may be some confusion because of that. So, so they came up with, or we came up with those three from prior literature being done, specifically the UK update, which was by Braunfort, yes, who looked at all manual therapies effectiveness, and he was a that journal or that. Uh, that manuscript was the first one to really use those types of terminology. And then the Claire et al., which was an update to that, used them as well. Um, the difference I think that we did with this is I did include observational studies um, for this summary. And then, so the overall where we're at, we, and when it comes to empirical evidence, we need more work. Mm. Um, and a lot, we need more work in a lot of these topics. I don't think that's unique to the chiropractic profession. In the pediatric world, uh, there's a lot of topics have, that have not been studied. There's major initiatives going on through NIH to make sure that 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 studies are done in the pediatric population. They're more complex. They're vulnerable. So it's it's not just our populate our um, our profession that we're lacking empirical evidence, fantastic clinical experience. Um, there's patients' values and preferences involved in that. But when it comes to the actual data, from especially from the summary that I got, we're, we are lacking in it, in the, in the need for more work in that area. Um, and we're also lacking in the quality of the work that we do. I think we need to focus as a profession not just focus on doing more work, but making sure that the quality yes. is there. It's interesting because um, I think that's a very important point. It's It seems to be that pediatric research uh, into manual therapies, while it might be a little bit thin, is definitely growing and some really good studies have started to come out over the last five or so years. But I guess that's it's balancing that off in that you can't just look at it in isolation. You have to then compare, as you've alluded to, to, well, what's the research levels um, like for alternative uh, care and or standard medical care for these same pediatric conditions? And there's some lack in those areas, I guess, as well. Correct. Correct. 
so let's uh, move on. We, we talked earlier about um, the challenges with the range of techniques um, that chiropractors may use uh, with children. Uh, obviously, they, uh, they're suitably modified for, for age and presentation, but um, how exactly do you account for this in, in the study? Yeah, so the only thing we could really do was describe. So we made sure that we collected the uh, technique that was used in the the paper, and we made, and when we kind of collapsed our overall summaries, we did it based on those techniques. But even within, uh, if we called it chiropractic manual therapy, even within those, it, it's there's quite a lot of distinction. So we did put those in the description, um, but that. Um, that makes the heterogeneity, and that also is why we never even considered doing a meta-analysis with it. It's really something you can just describe, which allows, again, the why I wanted it all in one manuscript where people can go through, you know, that's not, that's not how I do that, or that is how I do that, then they can really consider the paper um, from their perspective to see if it, you know, how it affects the way that they care for patients, or is that something I should consider? I'm not doing that. Um, and, and that was my hope with the paper, that it just gave people one paper to go to, one manuscript to go to, and, and look at all the different options there. But I could not pull the information. So let's um, talk through the results then. You, you had three um, presentations that made it to the moderate positive level, um, according to the Bronford sort of scale. Uh, the first one, not so surprisingly, was low back pain. You know, I'm going to talk a little bit about the low back pain one because that was the most um, fun finding, I think, in the whole manuscript. And in the Claire et al. paper, they had no muscle, they had found no musculoskeletal uh, manuscripts for any for any children, uh, and and yet it's the number one reason, at least here in the U.S., that that children and adolescents are seeking care from from chiropractors, and yet we had no studies on that. And um, it was the Evans et al. paper that was done, um, and and that took us from having no studies to one that that was of a moderate level, moderate favorable findings, and that's the. That's a reason high-quality studies are needed. That was one well-done, RCT, high-quality, all efforts in, and it took us from nothing to a finding that, that, that has some true backing to it. So that's not only like needed in our profession, but an example of we have to put efforts toward quality. Yes. Um, the other one uh, that made it into, the, into there was um, pulled elbow yeah, so that one, that one, we went back and forth and back and forth. Essentially, they were sh- they were showing two different um, manual therapies. But again, when you do a systematic review, you set your inclusion exclusion criteria up initially, and you're like, oh, well, that does fit it, but it's a little different. So we did include it, and that that was comparing a supination. Um, uh, supination maneuver versus a pronation maneuver and both of those studies were done and and they were both well done studies showing that um i think i don't even i would have to double check but but the findings were were well done um that is one that that could apply to many different professions but um good work has been done in the pulled elbow area but and the final one in moderate positive is a bit of a surprise and probably because there's not many chiropractors, I think, certainly in Australia, that uh, deal with premature infants. Um, that, that's, that was interesting. 
Yeah, and that came out of the the Italy, I believe, out of the out of the Europe um, continent of of Europe. And with that, there was actually two or three studies where they looked at osteopathic manipulative therapy. And osteopathic manual therapies typically tend to be um, more of what we would call a cranial sacral or mobilization type of techniques. But they were well done um, RCTs. I think the biggest question on there is exactly what they were doing. Again, the manual therapies is hard to, there's such wide variation with that. Um, it was hard to tell from those papers, but it was manual therapy. Um, RCTs done in, um, in, in the, where the uh, DOs, osteo, osteopathic physicians, had access to that population and compliance. And I guess they're the unique situation where they were actually in a sort of um, hospital sort of based setting, uh, which I which I imagine obviously a lot of manual therapists uh, do not have that type of uh, access. So that makes that one particularly unique. Correct. Get moving on to the inconclusive positive, and I, I want, there's obviously a big long list here, but I wanted to include or talk briefly about some of the things that are. Uh, often seen by chiropractors or at least often uh, discussed uh, amongst the chiropractic profession, the biggest one being infantile colic. Yeah, for sure. So the studies, and this was, again, when you're pulling data, I think infantile colic had four papers. I'm trying to flip through my paper. This is why I'm I'm glad to have it all written down in one place because I myself <laughs> cannot remember all of them, but infantile, uh, the infantile colic yeah, had uh, a total of five papers that, that we were able to include in that. And so, um, the, the problem with the inconclusive was the size and of the studies and, were, and there was differing types of results. And with infantile colic, I think one of the big problems is what do you measure with that and what's the best way to measure um, that. So that's the inconclusive part. I can say that was when, it, you know, you're going through the results and you, that was one of the things like, oh, I thought with that many studies and that strong, that it really would have came out um, what I think people may be seeing in practice a little bit more. But that's where the data's at. Um, and where where it fell, but but I think that also can help us explain to parents and set their expectations up. You know, yes. like the data is still inconclusive, and so I'll, you know, a trial of care. My clinical experience is this, but as when it comes to the data, this is where we are at, um, and making that transparent for a patient or for a parent yeah, is what we need to do. There's nothing wrong with robust informed consent, is there? No. Um, now, another one, um, asthma. Um, I, I guess my, I've got my own ideas on asthma, but uh, this also comes into the in, inconclusive positive range. Yeah, so there was, a, there was one study done with uh, the osteopathic one is actually the one that came out to be favorable where the, the chiropractic one, and that, that one was done, done by the same person that did the UK update, the Bronford study, yes. and that one actually came out unclear and was a little bit better quality than the osteopathic one, but had showed no improvement. So again, we have differences in techniques there. Yep. But when it comes to, if I would talk on the chiropractic, I'd actually say that, that our conclusion conclusions are unclear. Yes. Um, because the study found no difference between, it was a, it was an RCT, but it was a pilot study. So again, it wasn't didn't have all the the essentially a sample size wasn't up to 
um, what we need to identify a true difference or not. Also in the inconclusive category, but this time inconclusive unclear, was nocturnal enuresis. Yeah, and so this study was based on on an observational study, so it didn't have the experimental or randomized two groups. So nothing that was just based on observational study could be anything higher than unclear. And while they did show it was a medium quality and they did show improvement, it also had a sample size of 33, so more work needs to be done on that. One of the things that our inclusion criteria was at the year 2000, and I do know that there was a randomized control trial that was done in um, 1999, but again, the quality of that was really poor. So I think even if we had expanded that eligibility criteria, that it wouldn't have come out any difference in that. So I think, again, it's just setting parents' expectations up at, at where they need to be. We now come to the inconclusive negative group. Um, This is where there's not a lot of evidence for these conditions, but what evidence there is suggests that chiropractic is not so helpful. There were two presentations that um, came into this category, one of which was scoliosis. Uh, I can say both of these really surprised me because they they can be more um, musculoskeletal-based, and and so they they did surprise me. Again, it runs around the topic of uh, the quality of the data, and the scoliosis one, we actually have a lot of, we actually have four studies altogether, but some of them found, one of them found no difference, one of them found no improvement, and then two studies found improvement, and so we're having a lot of mixed reviews. Right. Those mixed results can very well come from a difference in, in techniques, differences in, in active therapy that's available. But when you pull that all together based on our a priori findings, it pulled out to be to be negative um, altogether. And I'm assuming that's measuring like changes in Cobb's angle. It's not talking about I feel better, I feel less discomfort. It's talking about the actual changes in the curvature, is it? Most of them were. I know that there were some that used some patient-centered outcomes, but um, I would have to go back into the the actual write-up of each paper to to be definitive, but for my regulation, most of them were using the objective measure of a Cobb's angle. Right. And also in the... And and again, with those... Sorry. Go ahead. Um, Also with scoliosis, it's also a lot depends on the time frame some studies may have been collecting data for six weeks, some of them may have been collecting for three months, and so those differences um, can impact an outcome of a study as well. Of course. Uh, the other one in the inconclusive negative was torticollis, which was a bit of a surprise for me. We only had one study in that, and it was it was a manual therapy, so not not a specific. The, the therapy wasn't described well in the study, but it was a, um, a randomized control trial with thir- a sample size of 32 people, and, and the conclusion of that was no difference. Right. And so uh, that just leads to that there's just not enough studies on there. But the one that was done is is inconclusive, so we can't. We need, to, we need to take that information into account. So that's a, a really good summary on efficacy, how well something works and what the evidence is for that. But what about safety? That's really paramount. How does pediatric care rate on safety? Yep. 
So right now, the strongest studies that's been done are mostly retrospective case reports. So the big concern with that is that, that not everyone that has may have a serious adver adverse events that somebody has taken the time to write it up. So that's the concern in the, in the literature, uh, the gap that we have in the literature. But everything that has been done to date really identifies chiropractic care um, as safe when you look at the number of uh, treatment visits that have occurred and then the number of adverse events that have happened, that isn't to discount that, that it can't happen and it isn't to discount that we shouldn't be doing anything because we've been doing it for this many years. So uh, we should just keep going. It's an awareness that there's not a lot out there so far, but, but um, it's better to be a, take a proactive approach and find ways within our profession to provide the data that makes do, that makes us really know what is going on. Yeah, I agree 100. percent It's um, we can't be complacent about these things or, or um, blasé just to, to say, look, it never happens. Um, we have to be very, very serious. So we have to modify our techniques appropriately. Um, and I know in with the ACA um, submission into Safer Care Victoria, one of the things that we've highlighted is. You know, the balance of 30,000 paediatric uh, visits to chiropractors in Australia every week um, and Guild Insurance, our main insuring uh, body, who we've had for 21 years, have never had a, a case of a serious adverse event uh, involving a child, um, a claim made against a chiropractor. So, um, yes, we still need to take uh, safety extremely seriously, um, but what evidence is there seems to be fairly positive. Correct. I would agree with you. So um, can we sort of separate the um, evidence of harm and the evidence of effectiveness? Um, can we look at these things in isolation or really should we be joining the two together? For example, there are many, many medical procedures where the risk of uh, not doing something is greater than the risk of uh, doing something, uh, which might still be inherently risky. So do the two always have to be considered together to really understand the bigger picture? And the simple answer, can I just say yes? Or do you want information? Okay. Uh, when I think about risk, risk, and risk and uh, benefits, I always think of that medical scale, the balance that goes back and forth. And these are the decisions, and this is what makes a clinician, um, any type of healthcare provider, um, so valuable. Is that they're they're weighing this. It, this information for every patient that they get and every patient is different. And so I do think both of those sides need to be taken into consideration as long, along with the patient specific information. And those sides need to, you need to both bring in your clinical experience from benefits and your, your uh, risk side of things as well as, and that's when the evidence allow bringing in the evidence allows you to not just have your, number of years experience, but it brings in hundreds and thousands of years of experience, which is what makes that that evidence so, so valuable to your practice. So bringing in all those factors and weighing every single patient, every single treatment, both the benefits that it may or may not, um, unknown benefits that we um, can't guarantee and no um, healthcare treatment can can't say no, but there's probably a few that we know will work versus um, and the the risk that is inherent with any 
um, anything that we do. So we're faced now with um, uh, just a clinical question, I guess, uh, first up here. You're sitting down in front of a a mother having a discussion about uh, care for this child and you obviously need to go through an informed consent process. Um, How do you uh, approach that? And in particular, to what extent do you discuss other options of care, um, such as standard medical care? I think this is the trickiest part and what makes um, clinicians' jobs so valuable and so unique. And I think it was the WFC that just posted a picture of a big bowl of spaghetti noodles where everything was intertwining. But it's during that, and you have to take all that information and that, and, and um, put it into a specific encounter. So I'm not trying to, the complexity, it's so complex in that, in that encounter. But I really think what we need it more is, is transparency, reality to um, patients, especially parents, especially parents where uh, patients are coming in with otitis media or infantile colic. These, um, as a parent myself, like you just need help um, and you'll do anything for your child, but it also makes it why it's so important um, that, that providers give the best ability information to the best of their ability and lay it all out so that they really know and can make the best decisions with them. And and again, that's one of the things I was really hoping could, would come from this is that it does synthesize the information so that you can say, you know, the, the evidence may, it isn't um, the empirical evidence is this. Um, and our clinical experience is this, your patient value is this, here are other options that you have, I, I think needs to be in there and really let the parent make the best decision and informed decision. One of the, um, I guess, concerns expressed by regulators, and I would also say perhaps um, concerns that the ACA uh, have, is when chiropractors make particular claims in advertising uh, that uh, that a face-to-face discussion might be quite appropriate, um, given the, knowing the individual circumstances of the person in front of them, but where claims uh, go beyond where the research is actually at. Um, and I think a few chiropractors uh, have um, gotten into trouble about this, and I think we've learned as a profession where that where that boundary is as far as advertising and where it might come into uh, in terms of the individual uh, connection with a patient where informed consent to come into can come into play. Do you have any comments on, on this and how your study might assist? Yeah, so this is what it's it's a delicate balance because if if patients don't know that they have other options or what options may be available, it's hard for them to make a decision. However, we have to be true to where we're at with empirical evidence and we cannot be promoting anything we we don't have evidence on. And so it's one side of me is um, I'm going to make sure I say this um, nicely on on a podcast, like put up our be quiet. (laughs) We need need to um, admit where we're at and don't, don't reach further than that. And if you wanted to change, there are ways that we can do that. Um, And, and we're going to, we actually have incredible scientists now that can do it. Um, Australia is filled with them right now. And, And so it, the idea of 
sharing the information so that parents can have uh, options. I think we need to be of the very delicate balance that, that we're all still learning, um, but we certainly cannot overreach. And so saying that there may be um, the potential for some for some of the studies that have um, controlled trials on them, I think may be fair, but anything beyond that, we have to um, get the evidence out there to be able to share in an in a advertising context. Yes, I think it comes down to investing in the uh, the research first and the, and the marketing second and just let the great job that you do in practice be the thing that, that drives your practice and drives growth in the profession. I love that, yep. Um, okay, so to sum it up, where to from here? Uh, you've sort of painted the picture from for where we're at. Where, where, where do you see the next sort of, you know, five to ten years going for the chiropractic profession and in particular with uh, paediatric care? So I, I may be hopelessly optimistic, but um, that, 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 that may be just a disease that I have, but I really feel that we're at a really fantastic time point, especially with with as much as a social media is is a bad thing, the social media opportunities and that we have from an international standpoint um, that we can share information so easily. Um, and there's actually really good things going on in other countries, good things and bad things and things that we can learn from and, and, and um, ways that we can collaborate. Um, and so from that standpoint, I'm ever hopeful that more research can come out, big data. Um, that's what I'm I'm hoping to be able to obtain with, with lots of other people. But um, I think some of the randomized control trials are really hard to obtain um, for multiple reasons that, that we have discussed and, and furthermore. But I think um, if we can collect big data sets with um, the same outcome measures, there are ways to look at observational data um, to look at some of these causations and effectiveness studies, and that's where we need to go. And, and because we have an international um, potential reach, I think we can collect the information to better understand where we're at. So I'm hopeful um, in those arenas, and as awful as I think what you're going through it is right now. I'm hoping that we learn from it at the end and really take um, do what needs to be done. Um, and thankfully, we're at a time point that we have the scientists and the clinicians. We have the scientist expertise that we need, and we have the, the clinicians on board. So it might make a great opportunity to collaborate. Look, I must say, I agree with you. I think there is reason for, for optimism, maybe mixed in with a tiny bit of uh, cynicism just a little bit there just because it, it, we, we are it is a political uh, process that we're going through currently but I think sure. there is definitely opportunities here and uh, just like way back in 1978 New Zealand had their uh, Royal Commission of Inquiry into chiropractic um, which ended up very very positive uh, for them I think there are opportunities for chiropractors right across the world because we know we're in a a very small global community now. What happens in Australia will uh, have impact in the United States, in Canada, in Europe. And if we are smart enough and, um, and the leadership is right, we can learn from these very important lessons. Yep, hopefully we don't have to learn them again. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Katie, thank you so much for uh, taking your time uh, to have a chat on the podcast today. I'm sure all the listeners have uh, very much enjoyed your uh, and appreciated your wisdom and, and knowledge, um, and uh, it's been a great podcast, so thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. 
Well, that's it for me. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast has been helpful in your quest for excellence. And I look forward to chatting with you again on our next ACA podcast. Thank you.